Morning, everyone. <clears throat> I uh, just want to say I, I love being with you guys. I love being here, singing with you, and just um, reflecting on the gospel. And that's exactly what we're going to do some more as we get into the teaching today. Uh, before we get to the teaching, um, I want to take a minute and actually call us to, to pray for something specific again. Um, so some of you may or may not be aware, and periodically we try to remind you, that uh, we are uh, connected, and, and actually God's even put us in a position to connect uh, churches, local churches across our region, across our area. And uh, one of the gifts of being in this space and on this piece of property is that God's given us uh, something to steward, a facility to steward that we can use to serve others. And so this past Wednesday, uh, we hosted about a dozen or so pastors from across greater South Austin, particularly within about probably a few miles from here. And, uh, and we got to just host them for lunch, pray over them, uh, encourage them. And so we've been out of rhythm of doing that for a while, but we do that monthly the second Wednesday of every month. And we also invite uh, a group of intercessors, some ladies that have a real passion to pray for our region, for uh, gospel saturation, praying for people to come to know Jesus, praying for churches to be strong, and they come and join us, and we just pray uh, for every one of the congregations uh, across our area that God would enable us to be faithful gospel witnesses, and that we would continue to stand firm, even in the face of all the uncertainties and trials and struggles that come. And so, I just want to say, one, um, because of your faithfulness to, to give, and, and financially as you give, and as you're a part of this body, you are a part of that ministry to not just this church family, but to other church families that are in our region, because there's only one church, one big C church, um, and we're a part of that. And so, if we proclaim Jesus is Lord, uh, and we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, as Paul writes, uh, then we have one big C church across this globe, and uh, in our little area, we get to be a part of just supporting and encouraging. And then probably some of you don't know this, but <clears throat> on a regular basis, because so many of these church churches that are getting started, these church plants, we call them, they're new churches, they, they really struggle to find spaces to meet in, um, especially because Austin ISD has shut their doors to most of these churches, and so they're looking for spaces to meet. And maybe some of you are aware of spaces around us that they could uh, meet in. You can come talk to me afterward. But at one point, we had six different churches, six different congregations meeting in this space on a weekly basis. And so, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, us. Uh, so it's been really neat that this space has been used by multiple congregations. And last Sunday night, um, just because we just got through singing this song called Living Hope, uh, Living Hope Bible Church just started their core group meetings here at 5 p.m. on Sunday evening uh, in this space. And uh, we're going to stop and pray for them as they're getting started. Uh, and we want to also just pray for the, the churches across our region because we need everybody healthy, and we need everybody proclaiming the good news of Jesus, okay? And so let's just stop and do that right now. Father, we are such a grateful people that we get to join in your work in our city, and thank you that it's not about us and it's not for our glory. Uh, it's for your glory, for your fame, and God, we are continuing to pray that you would raise up your people across this region to make sure that every man, woman, and child who call this area home would hear the gospel, and they hear the good news about Jesus and what he has done, what you have done 
um, God, in, in rescuing people and saving people and offering salvation to all. We pray, Father, that you would just um, bless these churches that are across our area, those guys that sat in the back of the room with me on Wednesday, and we just prayed and we encouraged and caught up a little bit. We want to pray that you continue to sustain them and strengthen them in this work. And we pray specifically for Living Hope Bible Church as they're getting started um, in our area. We pray, Father, that you would provide for them all that they need and that you would give them great courage, um, confidence in your ability. You called them, and we're trusting that you will use them. And so we are praying blessing on them today, especially Ben uh, Dowdy, the, the, the leader, and others that are coming around him. We just pray that you would bless them um, as they start. We pray all this in your strong name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, <clears throat> you um, already heard us uh, read from Galatians chapter 1. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to have it there because we're going to keep referring back to the section that Emery read for us. And uh, I think you kind of get the point already just from the text. It's pretty direct, isn't it? Uh, but I want to give us just a few things, some backdrop, because I've been excited for the last month and a half knowing that we were going to teach through the book of Galatians, and we were trying to figure out the timing, and we felt like this is the time to, to dive in. And so we're going to be digging into the book of Galatians for at least the next 12 weeks, unless the Spirit leads us to do something different. And uh, that means roughly, you know, a couple of weeks per chapter, so that's still a pretty good clip, because you could literally, you know, we could spend a year in this book, we could spend longer, but we could spend a long, long time, there's so much here. Uh, I've heard it said Galatians is, is basically like the cliff notes of the book of Romans, and so rather than trying to teach the book of Romans, which really would take us forever and ever and ever, uh, Galatians gives us a little bit more succinct summary of what Romans says. The same authors, by the way. Apostle Paul wrote Romans. Apostle Paul also wrote uh, Galatians. These are, this is a letter. Um, and so we're going to dig into it because I feel like that there's always a struggle and a tension in the human heart to try uh, to, to um, as he says, drift or even turn from uh, the central message of our faith, which is the gospel, okay? And we're going to define some words as we go. Some of this might seem basic and elementary, but over the coming weeks, you're going to hear this continual drumbeat that Paul is banging, saying, don't turn away from the core of the message. And I'm just going to confess to you that even after growing up all of my life in church, I still can struggle at times in my life to, to really just receive the grace that's been extended in Christ. Maybe you don't feel that way. I, I, would, I would dare say every one of us are tempted on a daily basis, and we're going to talk about how to identify that and what that actually looks like. But before we get there, just a couple of things for those of you that are uh, uh, Bible nerds. Um, you like to dig into it because I'm one of those. Um, there's, it's great to get into Scripture. We never want to treat the Bible like a textbook. It's not just another textbook. It's living. It's active. But we can learn things about it from the context of it to the understanding who was writing it and why they're writing it. Remember, no matter who wrote it, it's ultimately God is the author of all Scripture, so he inspires people to write it by his Holy Spirit. But that being said, um, I already mentioned Paul is listed there, and it says from you know, the apostle, Paul an apostle. Uh, apostle just means sent one. That's what that means. So he was, he was part of the original apostles. Uh, what's interesting, just an, a side note here, is that um, there were people who were really trying to criticize Paul and critique him and say he wasn't a legitimate apostle uh, because he wasn't one of the, the 12. You remember, I mean, he wasn't one of the original disciples. But 
If you know Paul's story, and I won't get into all the specific details of that, you know uh, the story that he was once named Saul, and he was actually persecuting, he was killing Christians, and he was confronted on the road to Damascus. He was blinded by a light, which we know was Christ himself, and he's blinded and called out, and God actually, uh, Christ actually calls him to follow him. It turns him from being a persecutor of Christians to being the greatest missionary aside from Jesus who ever lived on, on planet Earth. I mean, phenomenal in what he's done in his lifetime. And so we get to see this guy, Paul, who went on a missionary journey after he had uh, a season of sort of preparation. He went on, on his first missionary journey, and when he was on this missionary journey, he was in Asia Minor, and he was in an area called Galatia province of Galatia, and there's southern cities that are there, including Antioch, which is the first place where Christians were. They were called Christians in Antioch, um, which, by the way, is not actually a good thing. For those of you that don't know, Christian was supposed to be um, a kind of a slander on them. It was supposed to be a criticism of them because they said, you guys are like little Christs, and they were making fun of them. Uh, we, we, wear, we wear it now like it's like this great thing, right? Or maybe not in this culture. <laughs> we're a little careful. Um, we call ourselves Jesus followers because sometimes Christian gets kind of wrapped up in political things and all kinds of other stuff that uh, we see. But regardless, Paul's there, and he writes this letter to a, not just a specific church in, in one of those towns, but actually in a region, okay? Because there were the same problems going on in that region. And these churches, uh, they had some Jewish influence there because the Jews had been living out among them, these people in the, in the Roman province. And that's actually what uh, started to create a problem is because these Jewish uh, people who were there, some of the leaders, they actually did convert to Christianity. But then once they put their trust in Christ and received the gospel that Paul preached to them when, they, when Paul went to them as a missionary, um, <clears throat> he actually finds out that they're, they're trying to go back towards the old Jewish customs. And you're going to hear that in the book of Galatians. And so when you read this letter, if you've read other Pauline letters, you would notice that Paul is, he's like the master of the compliment sandwich. You guys know what that is? So if you're supposed to have a, good job, buddy. Uh, if, you're, if you know what a compliment sandwich is, if you are gifted in communication with others and trying to help them hear hard things, then you know you don't start with the hard thing, right? You actually start with all some good things. And so you try, to, you try to compliment them about some of the things that you can say are positive about them. Then you go to the hard thing, and then you come back and compliment them some more so that what they hear at first and then what they get at the end is kind of like the good stuff, right? And in the middle, you say the hard things. And that's pretty typical for Paul. And it's really typical for him because he genuinely loved the people that he engaged with and he cared about them and he really he wasn't just blowing smoke he wasn't just trying to like set them up so then he could bring the hammer okay he genuinely loved them and on top of that Paul knew what we all should know in Christ as we begin to believe the gospel is that change isn't something we initiate it's something God has initiated in us and so we have to learn who we truly are and our from our identity then flows our activity are you still with me? And so this is key for us as Christians because the gospel changes who we are, and from that it changes what we do. And that's significant because even in this message that Paul was trying to give them, they had begun, they had begun to forget, forget that. They, had, they were in a, in, a, in a rough place. And the reason why this is significant is because the way that this letter is written is different than his other letters. 
and that Paul doesn't take any time to sort of give them some, some, some sweet softballs of love, all right? He basically just dives right to the point, and every commentator who's read uh, Galatians and written about it says, Paul seems ticked off. Now, we may not read it that way, but if you understand how Paul writes, you're like, I think he's a little angry. In fact, I would say he's very much so angry. <laughs> is it okay for a Christian to be angry? Well, yes, it is. It is, it is okay to be angry if it's about the right kind of anger, right? Jesus, did he get angry when he went into the temple and they were selling stuff? And he says, you know, he grabs a, uh, he makes a cord and takes a whip and starts driving them out and says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you turn it into a den of thieves. That's the right kind of anger. It was over the right thing. Now, I can just tell you right now, I'm rarely angry for the right reasons. Um, or even if I am, there's always a little bit of human element to it, okay? Because I, I see in my flesh that it can come up and it can be a, more about a personal offense than an offense to God. But I do think there's a way that we can be angry or we can be intense or we can, be, uh, we can get after people when it's something that is so detrimental to them, namely in this spot that they were trying to, to change the gospel. He uses the word pervert the gospel, which really the, the Greek word there is to reverse the gospel, to, to turn it and change it from what it was. And that's a problem. And the reason why Paul's so ticked off and the reason why we should be ticked off when people try to, to pervert the gospel is because there's only one name under heaven that people can be saved by, and his name is Jesus. And there's only one way that people can stay saved, and that's Jesus. And so if we, we hear people trying to add things to the gospel, we'll come back to that in a second, it ought to raise the hair on the back of our neck. It ought to cause us to get unsettled, and we ought to be ready to willingly go to bat for that. Now, <clears throat> here's the deal. As Christians, we shouldn't go to bat for our bumper stickers we put on our cars. We shouldn't go to bat for the t-shirts we want to wear. We shouldn't go to bat for a lot of things that we tend to go to bat for as Christians in our modern culture, but we should go, bat for the, go to bat for the gospel. You know, you know what I'm saying? We should stand firm on the gospel truths, the things that really matter, the thing, the thing that matters most. And so these guys were reversing the gospel. Paul gets ticked about it, and when he gets into his letter, he just goes right at it. So much so, he's so ticked that he literally says, and his primary um, thrust of his focus is on these leaders, and he says, these guys are cursed, I mean, I don't know if you've been cursing anybody lately, but Paul is like, I'm, you are cursed from heaven that you are preaching a gospel different. And specifically, they were trying to, again, trying to get these guys to Jesus plus the Jewish customs, namely circumcision, okay, um, which if you've been reading the Old Testament, you understand where the circumcision thing came from. You also uh, understand what it would be like if you started trying to implement that with grown men. Um, we'll just leave that there. But pretty significant, right? Pretty significant. And so we've had some of that conversation. So it was Jesus plus you've got to follow these Jewish ways in order to appease God, in order to be a legit Christian. And Paul's like, nah. no, no. In fact, another place Paul gets so agitated, so irritated about it, he says, don't just circumcise. He says, just cut it off. Okay, we'll leave that alone too. But that's what Paul says. That's how agitated he is about this whole thing. Because he sees that there is a danger, there is a detriment, and in fact, there is a destruction that comes when you start to pervert the gospel, when you begin to take the gospel and add to it or change it, twist it. 
It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And, and I would say to us today that there's ways that this is still happening. Because some people say, well, no, there's no Jews in here telling us that we need to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. So, like, how does this relate to us? Maybe you're asking that question. Well, just, just hang on, because there are things that we try to add to the gospel as well. There are things that we have seen. I've seen, seen and experienced. There's things that I personally probably have added to the gospel in my, my, my own mind and heart because of the human nature and how it works, uh, this desire to attain. So I want us just for a little bit of time before um, we, we leave today, before we kind of close out in, in time of the uh, reflection response, I want to focus in on just a couple of things because over the coming weeks, you're going to hear some repetitive themes. Paul's just hammering it home. But I want to talk about legalism for just a minute, okay? Um, legalism is something that maybe you've heard before in the church, that like people can be legalistic. And what is legalism? And uh, sometimes people get confused about legalism because they think that, you know, legalism is when you ask people to change their behavior in order to honor God. Um, listen, to be a Christ follower is to live a new life. It's to live a new way. So we are called to be holy, set apart. That, that word holy means to be set apart. It means we, we don't value the same things that the culture values. We, we don't live just like everybody else. We shouldn't syncretize with the value systems and the ways of the world. We're called to live different. We, if you guys were here a couple weeks ago, Romans chapter 12, you know, we said, you know, we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, we'll be to transform, to be changed, right? And so we need a new way of thinking. But legalism is all about what's going on at the heart level. It's about the motive. And I would simply say to you that legalism is all about adding to the work of the gospel or adding works to the gospel. Anybody know what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says? Let me, let me quote it to you. I think it was on the screen, but it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, right? It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. So there is a way that works can be snuck into our salvation process. And I want to talk about how this actually looks. So, Legalism is all about adding works to the gospel. One of the, the ways that this works itself out is legalism is when we are working with our own power, our own strength. So when we are relying on ourselves to do what Christ has called us to do, we are moving towards legalism. You ever thought about that? We're actually saying, Jesus, you saved me. Now it's my job to finish the job, finish the task. I got to save myself. And so we begin to put the focus on us and our ability to be righteous, to be good enough, right? And so we begin to put the, the focus on our power, our ability, our capacity to save ourselves. This is a dangerous trap. This is a, a very deadly way to live your life. It's destructive. And so we begin to, to rely and rest on our own power. I'll come back to why it's, you know, some of the results of that. But the second way that legalism shows out is when we start to work with our own rules. <laughs> we start adding to what God has said, right? We start adding rules. You guys know much about the Pharisees? 
in the New Testament. Uh, if you've been, again, reading through the Bible in 90 days with us, and you went through uh, Exodus, Leviticus, <laughs> Numbers, Deuteronomy, those books of the law, there is a lot there that God had wrote about how people that were his people were supposed to live these distinct lives. There's lots of laws. If you can imagine, the Pharisees took those and they added about 500 more because they felt like they needed more, you know, to the point where they literally would, would tithe from their spice rack and then they would brag about it and they'd say, hey, we're so awesome, we actually give even a 10% tithe from our spices. The point is, is that there's a way that Legalism is when we start to add to the law of God and we begin to add more and more rules. And then it's, this is the way it works. We don't just add them to ourselves. We, what? we try to impose them on others. So we start to put laws and regulations around others. Now, this is um, incredibly detrimental because we try to take personal convictions and turn them into Christ's call or Christ's commands and then we try to conform other people to what makes us feel better. And when they don't, it's great because we're like, well, I'm better than you. <laughs> right? There's a way that we do that. But it is such a trap because we can't even live up to our own, you know, expectations. And so we begin to falter and we begin to fail. And it's a cycle, continuous cycle of either self-righteousness, I'm awesome because I'm better than these people over here. Or I'm terrible because there's just a shame and a guilt that is constantly weighing on you because you've added to what Christ has done or tried to add to, to the law that was given. So in that, we have to be very, very, very careful because what that does is the third thing is we're not just working with our own power. We're not just working with our own rules. We're even working to earn God's acceptance. We're earning, we're, we're trying to earn our way. And if you've been here very long, you've probably heard me say that many of us are on what I would call the self-salvation project treadmill. So many of us are running hard, and we're cranking that thing up, but we're not going anywhere. And it's because you can't get there by your works. You can't get to God's approval and his acceptance. His, you can't earn his love for you. You can't earn it. It's crazy to even try. And yet we do, don't we? And we see this again happening as we feel rejection. We feel, and, and this is why our, our Christian faith is not built on how we feel. It's built on faith that God even gifts us to believe and receive from him. What is true about us. You see, um, there's some dangers of these legalism because when we try to, Add to the finished work of Jesus what simply cannot and will not ever be possible. We are in this perpetual cycle of being consumed with ourselves rather than consumed with Jesus and never feeling good enough, never feeling capable enough, and never feeling confident that we actually are saved. You know how many Christians have come to me and said, I don't know if I'm actually saved. And every time I'm like, well, why do you say that? And they're like, well, if you thought the things that I thought, or if you did some of the things that I did, you would, you would understand. And I'm like, I have. Sadly, I have. Because in my humanness, in this flesh, I'm still warring, right? I'm a new creature, but there's still this old man, and there's still these things, that, that thoughts. I'm like, I can't believe that came into my mind. 
I can't believe that came into my heart. But my salvation is not based on that. Praise God for that. Praise God that it's not based on our performance. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Our performance can't save us, and it can't unsave us. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for that. Now, I just have to say one note here, and, and this is kind of a side to this, because I know I grew up in, in a Baptist setting. I praise God for a lot of the things that I grew up uh, hearing the, the Scripture. I definitely would, would argue that I felt a lot of performance-based um, uh, pressure, if you will. If you, it's, it, was, it was Jesus plus don't dance, don't chew tobacco, don't drink alcohol, okay? Um, there were some things that were there, and, and I, I got those when I was growing up, just being real honest, okay? And then also this idea that I could add to, you know, to God's love for me and his acceptance of me based on my performance. And I just started reading the scripture and started realizing that's just not true. It's Christ alone that saves. It's Christ alone that rescues. And I don't know if you grew up in church. I don't know what y'all's, your story is, but I know that there's a way that we start to, again, see these, these, these ways we were sort of discipled early on uh, kind of attached to us, and then they're hard to break off. And Paul's going to say later, like, we got to break off the bio, the, the, these, these chains of slavery. And interestingly, just kind of a quick jump ahead in that um, Galatians 2, chapter 20, when we get there, I'm guessing some of you actually have, have memorized that verse because it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but I life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And what's so fascinating about that is that the way I heard that as a kid, as I was always told, is that that was, you are no longer, you know, going to do those bad things that you always do. But do you know the context of that? Well, you will, because we're going to keep teaching through it. He actually says, you are now dead to the religious constraints and constrictions. You are now dead to trying to be good enough for God to love you and approve of you. That's what he's talking about, the sin of religion, the sin of us trying to earn our way to God. Did you know that's a sin? <laughs> it's a pride-centered way of we are trying to attain what only could be attained through Christ. And so some of you need to hear that this morning. Because some of you are still trying to get God to love you and approve of you and accept you. And you have that in Christ if you've received by faith. You don't have to work for it. You see, we, we need, John Owen was famous for saying that we need to be killing sin or it will be killing us. And most of the time when we think about, uh, and he was, a, he was a Puritan, you know, those Puritans, man, they were, they were intense about sin. And I love that. And we need some intensity sometimes about that. But do we ever think of the fact that it is sinful to try to add to what Christ has done. And we need to, 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 we need to destroy legalism. We need to fight against it we need, in each other's lives because if you look around at each other, you're going to see sometimes that your brother, your sister in Christ, they look heavy because they have decided that Christ is loving them more or loving them less based on their performance. And we need to speak the gospel to them. The good news, you know what grace is? It's unearned favor. Unmerited favor is the big theological word. That means you can't get it by doing enough stuff, right? You can't earn it. And I would actually argue that that is offensive to the human nature because <laughs> we want to earn it. 
Some of you in here, you're hard workers. You can do everything. You can do a lot of stuff. You can do amazing things because God's gifted you with the capacity to learn and to, to do, create all these things. But you know what? You can't add anything to your salvation, no matter how awesome you are, no matter how awesome I am. It is something that we receive by grace through faith. The gospel is, if, if, if it's working, that's legalism, how do we destroy that legalism? Well, we destroy it with grace. We realize that we were helpless and lost, so we now rely on God's power and not our own. Did you see verse 4? He says there, he says, who, who gave this Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. You and I needed rescued. In fact, we needed resuscitated. We were dead, is what he says in Ephesians. We were dead. We were done. And we had no, no ability to get closer to God, no ability to work our way to, into his grace. In fact, that's foolish, right? We needed rescued. And when we understand that, we understand maybe just a little bit that we are more sinful than we can imagine and the consequences are way worse than we can fathom. But that's actually a good start to get the gospel is to understand how dark and evil our flesh is and how much we needed the rescuing power of Jesus. If we don't start there, we will think again somehow we have done it. And we haven't. So we need to realize we were helpless and lost. And so now we can rely on Christ's power. He rescued us. Um, when we very first moved down to South Austin, we, we said uh, um, that we were, this, this word that kept coming to mind was redemption, redemption, redemption. In fact, we even were called Redemption City Church for a season. Um, and it's this, this work that Christ did through paying the price to redeem us, right? We were indebted. We were indebted for, for eternity. There was a debt we could not pay, and Christ paid it. And we received that because he's a rescuer. We not only realized that we were helpless and hopeless, but we rest in Christ's sufficiency. And we would now put our hope in his fulfillment of the ultimate, of, of the law, the ultimate sacrifice that he was. Um, I think somebody prayed it out. Maybe it was Susie earlier again that um, what Christ did for us on the cross, he, he is sufficient for all of the ways that we have offended God, for all the ways that we have missed the mark, like Scripture says. It says in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short. They've missed the mark of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark of what he created and intended for us. But his grace still meets us there, even in that place. In fact, it goes on in Romans to say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, what? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. So, in this chapter, in verse 1, it even reminds us how, how focused Paul was. He says, that 
Paul is an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul is already leaning in on the work of Jesus' sufficiency from the very first sentence in this. The reason we know that Jesus fulfilled the law is because when God raised him from the dead, he says that counted, and it counted for eternity, and it is sufficient. And when Jesus' final words on the cross were, it is finished, it is finished. So quit trying to add to it. He did it. He did it for us. And we need to receive that. Receive it by faith. And that's really the third piece. Is we destroy legalism by receiving the Father's acceptance available in Christ. I can't wait till the week we get to talk about adoption. One of the pictures of salvation is adoption. What's so beautiful about adoption, as you've probably seen it, some of you may have even be adopted in here. I know I've talked to some of you that are. Is to know that a parent came and chose you and brought you into their family. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's incredible. It's such an, a, an awesome picture. And when I see those moments and I hear about adoptions, it just points me back to the fact that I was adopted by God. Not because of anything that I did, but just because he chose and called my name. He called my name. He called your name if you are in Christ. So because of his work, we are recipients of grace and peace. Grace and peace. Did you notice he said that? He said grace and peace to you. That is one consistent thing about Paul. He starts his letters and he ends his letters with grace and peace. That we get the unearned favor of God and we get the, the product of, of that is a, a shalom, a peace of knowing that we are now right with God and right with others. We are right because ultimately one day, all things will be restored in Christ. And so we have that in as a gift, as a grace gift. And <clears throat> Paul is like so committed to making sure that people in Galatia don't forget that. And we should be helping uh, each other to not forget that. So the final thing here in this text today, because there's so much more we could talk about, but he says, in verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This salvation, this gospel, it's not for the glory of Paul. It's not for the glory of us. It's for the glory of God. That's why we exist. That's why I have breath. That's why you have breath. That's why our hearts are beating. It's because we exist for the glory of God, for his fame, to make him known so that he is worshiped because he's worthy of that. This is what Tim Keller says. He says, the biblical gospel, Paul's gospel is clear that salvation from first to last is God's doing. It is his calling, his plan, his action, his work, and so it is he who deserves all the glory for all time. That's, that's well said. It's for the glory of God. So here, here's just a few things, just to kind of evaluate your own heart today. Have you been resting in your power or God's power to live the Christian life? I can tell you one big indicator. How much do you pray? If you're not praying, you're resting on yourself. I can just tell you that. That's, that's, that's an easy one, right? If you're not talking to God and asking for help, you're just doing your thing. Secondly, have you added to what Christ has called us to? Have you, have you started adding other religious rules and guidelines to try to 
you know, tilt the scales in your direction? Do you look around and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as those people? Is that ever on your heart or your mind? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just asking. Do you ever feel like you're comparing yourselves to others based on, you know, what you see and say, well, at least we're not like that family. At least I'm not like that dude over there and how he's treating his wife. At least I'm not like that mom yelling at her kids like that. Oh, wait, wait. I'm just saying, like, we have different ways we try to measure ourselves. We size ourselves up. And listen, the only thing that we are called to measure ourselves against is Christ, and he's perfect, so we're all in trouble. And we all need him. We need his perfection. We need his righteousness given to us. How about this one? Are any of you today feeling like that because you didn't do well this week, thinking that God doesn't love you as much as he did when you had a better week. Because that's just not true. We tell our kids a lot, mainly because I need to hear it, not just them. There is nothing that you could ever do to make God love you less. And there's nothing you could do to make him love you more. On your very worst day, you are completely, fully loved by your Father in heaven. And on your very best day, you are loved the same. Not more, the same. Because Christ is enough. I am sure if any of you guys played sports in here, you had moments where your coach got in your face. You know what I'm talking about? I played football. I loved football. It was one of my favorite, favorite things growing up to do. Um, there's days I miss it, but it's a good thing I don't play anymore. It'd be really hurt. But I can remember a coach who was my, one, probably my favorite coach and probably my best coach. And he was, he was a quarterback who played quarterback at, o, at Oklahoma State, and he was my quarterback coach when I was really learning how to, how to play quarterback. And I remember multiple times where he reached out, grabbed my ham, helmet, slung me this way, got up in my face and said, Nick, this is what you need to do. He'd kind of begin to coach me. Now, in this day and age, he probably gotten fired. But um, back when you could do that, and Listen, when he got in my face, he got eyeball to eyeball with me, and he would tell me what I needed to, to do, to do to get right. And I learned so much from him, and I appreciated the fact that he saw what I was doing wrong and cared enough, he cared enough to coach me to do it right. Now, I'm not saying that we should walk around grabbing each other's faces, okay? But I am saying this. Some of us need a wake-up call because we're not living the gospel, we're living religious lives, dependent on ourselves, working for God's acceptance and approval, and adding laws to ourselves and others. Today, we need to take a deep breath and say, Jesus, you're enough. Help me believe that. Thank you that I'm not saved by my works. I am saved for good works, but I'm not saved by my works. And so we need to take a deep breath. We need to receive that again. That changes everything. It changes everything. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And some of you need to rest today. And Christ finished work on the cross for you. Let's pray.
Father, I, um, I need to hear this as much as anyone in the room. There is a way that the enemy works on me, and I would say my brothers and sisters in this place, that there's a way that the enemy tries to rob us. We know he's a thief. We know he's a liar. But he tries to rob us of the peace that comes through receiving the grace that you've extended to us. And as Paul wrote in his words, we need to be aware, we need to be on guard against those false gospels that say that it's anything other than Jesus, you alone. Um, Father, I, I think some people walk, walked into this place today with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And today I pray, Father, that you would lift their heads and you would help them to see that, Jesus, you are enough and that you love them right where they are. That what you did, Jesus, to pay the price for their sin was sufficient. God, I also believe that there's some that walked into this room today and they they feel pretty good about themselves and pretty self-reliant. And I pray that today you would humble them. As I'm saying that, I'm even just thinking your, your word says that the The gospel, it comforts the afflicted, but it also afflicts the comfortable. And so I pray that on that other side, God, if there's anyone walking today in self-righteousness and believing that they've added to your finished work, Jesus, I pray that you would remind them that you are enough and there would be confession, there'd be repentance, turning away from self-reliance, trusting in self. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us right where we are. Thank you that you are gracious and merciful and kind. Thank you that while we were your enemies, you you made us sons and daughters. Thank you that while we were dead, you made us alive. And thank you that we get to celebrate that today. Thank you that we've already sung multiple songs where we just sing this gospel message that we were were without hope. We were were in the dark. We We were dead. And you brought us to life. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are making that known in this space today. And I pray for anyone who might be here in this room in this moment, and they've never just received by faith the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, but the gift of just your presence coming into them. I pray, Father, that right now they'd receive. Stop trying to, to work for it. Stop trying to figure it all out, but to receive. And to your name alone be the glory in all this, God. We praise your name. Amen. So these guys are going to lead us in singing, and you just respond as the Lord is leading you. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. If you need prayer, there will be some people available to pray, um, just stationed in some different parts of the room. And... We just want to call us to reflect on these things and to remember and and just to praise God for the rescue of his grace. And uh, if you feel compelled to say something, if you sense God's stirring in you to to say something to our congregation today, then I also invite you to come and just speak to myself or uh, Aaron or one of of us, uh, one of our elders, so that you can have that opportunity to just encourage us with what God's saying through his spirit.